KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, shaping the next generation of data-driven problem solvers. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. Welcome back to another edition of listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. It's almost Halloween, so it's the perfect time for a good scare. You get into your mouth and you walk around while they incubate, even if you're dead. Science fiction writers might have thought they came up with an original idea, <laughs> but insects did it first. <laughs> Much of science fiction, and even horror, has its roots in science fact. That's why it's so much fun to speak with a real scientist like Michael Wall. The cockroach loses its free will, <laughs> and parasites have a tendency to do this. They will eventually take over, you know, the brains. I don't know if it's the brains, but they'll take over their behavior and cause them to do things that they normally wouldn't do. Well, we don't want to take over your brains, but there's a new podcast coming to KPBS that's bound to stimulate your brain. It's a journey through the amazing work scientists are doing here in San Diego and how they're pushing the frontiers of human knowledge. So, before we get to the grooviness that's Bruce Campbell, I just want to give you a taste of what's coming from the KPBS Podcast Network. San Diego is one of the largest scientific research hubs in the country. So who are the intrepid scientists in search of discovery, pushing the frontiers of human knowledge? This is Rad Scientist. Where the scientist becomes the subject. I'm your host, Margot Wall, and I'm here to give you a taste of this new KPBS podcast. I'm a physicist, like, around the clock. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Maybe if I opened up, like, a dog resort with puppies and stuff. Humanity came within a cigarette paper's thickness of going extinct. So 100 years of searching for supernova, thousands of supernova were found, and... I find one and it's 10 times brighter than anything before. I talk to my plants. <laughs> what do you feel if I ask you to donate a leaf to me? <laughs> Please clear the annex. We're starting the sequence for the next test shot. Ready to fire in three seconds, two, one, now. Shot in progress. You can find Rad Scientist in your favorite podcast app. Subscribe now and stay rad. You can subscribe to Rad Scientist now through the show notes. The first episode of the season is already out. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. That's right. It's time to listen to the man with the boomstick. Sure, I could have stayed in the past. Could have even been king. But in my own way... I am king. Hail to the king, baby. All hail Bruce, the man who's been fighting deadites with a chainsaw hand and smart-alecky attitude for decades. He's just written his third book, and it's called Hail to the Chin. It's a follow-up to his 2002 book, If Chins Could Kill, Confessions of a B-Movie Actor. This book is a gateway to hell. A a way to summon forces of evil into our earthly realm. Yep, that's exactly what I thought. Please continue. You see, in ancient times there was a group known as the Dark Ones. 
neither demon nor fully human. They created this book as a weapon against humanity. These pages were cut from the bodies of the damned, upon which the Dark Ones inked their passages in human blood. Passages that contain the power to create portals connecting our world to the underworld where evil resides. The Dark Ones used this book to hold power over all mankind. So the book is the source of evil? Uh, no, no. No, not, not the source. More of a, a passageway. The, the book itself is harmless. Unless wielded by someone either very evil or very stupid. The third season of Ash vs. Evil Dead was supposed to premiere this month, but it got postponed till February of 2018. So, to tide you over until February, you can read his book, or you can take a listen to this podcast. On October 26th, Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore in San Diego hosted a book signing with Bruce Campbell. Bookseller Rob Crother described the scene. Okay, so we're wall-to-wall people. Um, surprisingly, it's not as weird a crowd as I was hoping for. Got fans of everything from Briscoe County Jr. through the Evil Dead. So just a terrific crowd. They're all excited. Do you know about how many people are here? Right now, it's approaching 400. One of those people was Lisa Kemper, and she was downright giddy with excitement to meet Bruce Campbell. Oh my gosh, I love all his parts. I've watched almost every, no, every single one, not even almost, every single one. I used to watch him when he first came out in the 80s. He's just the awesomest guy. He's the man. I had my son trained when he was two years old, learning to talk, saying, Bruce Campbell is the man. And indeed, he is. Let me offer one anecdote as proof, and it has nothing to do with all the awesomeness he puts on screen. I believe it was 2003. Bruce Campbell was in San Diego to introduce Bubba Hotep at the Ken Cinema. And then at midnight, Landmark was going to show The Evil Dead 2. My son was about 10 years old and was down to see Bubba Hotep, but he was a little bit worried that Evil Dead 2 would be too scary. I thought that if maybe he met Bruce Campbell, the actor he would see on screen fighting off demons, he might be less anxious about seeing the film. Since I knew the staff at the Ken Cinema, I asked if I might be able to have my son say hi to Bruce. They asked, and he very kindly obliged. He was very nice to my son, who was also dealing with a bully at school. Bruce chatted with him for a number of minutes. I explained his concerns about seeing Evil Dead 2, and Bruce put an arm around him and cheerily assured him that it would be fine, because it's splatstick, splatter gore, and slapstick comedy. My son smiled, got a picture with Bruce, and has been a lifelong fan ever since. What are you? Are you me? What are you? Are you me? <laughs> you sound like a jerk. Why are you doing this? Oh, you want to know? Because the answer's easy. I'm badass. And you're good ass. You're goody little two-shoes. You're goody little two-shoes. two-shoes. <laughs> he loved Evil Dead 2 and was able to laugh at all the things that might have scared him if Bruce hadn't been so generous to spend just a few moments with a budding fan. And that's why Bruce Campbell is the man and always will be. Groovy. And that's the thing about Bruce Campbell. He's beloved because he makes a personal connection with his fans, even if he pokes ruthless fun at them at the same time. Take his 2005 first appearance at San Diego Comic-Con, where fans were asking about his second book, Make Love the Bruce Campbell Way. When is Make Love the Bruce Campbell Way coming out on paperback as opposed to the hardcover that's out now? Why, you cheap bastard? (laughs) 
is my travel book. You're referring to a book that I referred to in Make Love to Bruce Campbell way. Um, sir, I hate to tell you this, but it's, the book is a novel. It's not real. <laughs> and sometimes fans seem to feed him lines that he can just run with. Look, let's, let's, let's discuss this rationally for a second. Ash versus Freddy versus Jason. Let's just, that's on the internet, so it must be true. So let's talk about it. <laughs> We had a five-minute conversation with New Line about it. And that five-minute conversation will haunt me for the rest of my life because now it'll never go away. And the five-minute conversation was this. What can we control? Only Ash. Okay. So two-thirds of the movie could suck and we have no control of it. That's right. So how would I know that I could kill Freddy or Jason? Because there'd be no reason to be in that unless Ash could kill both of their doughy asses. There's no guarantee of that. And when you make another Evil Dead movie, which would be like part three and a half, you expect to make some money, but we'd be splitting the pie with two other franchises who have invited us into their world. It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. So we said no. That's why it was a five-minute conversation. Plus, where does it take place? Sacramento? Where, where, where do these characters come from? What are the rules? There's three sets of universal rules of, of what's happening there. What, what monsters and how they die and how they live. So, it's a bad idea. While waiting for Bruce Campbell to arrive at Mysterious Galaxy, I spoke with a few fans about why they love him. Hi, I'm Michael Carpenter. Uh, I love Bruce Campbell. I used to watch his uh, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, all that stuff. Army of Darkness was awesome. Uh, Ash vs. Evil Dead is an awesome show, and I love it so much. We just finished season two, and it's it's amazing. It's just really good, and uh, he's just a really funny guy. I mean, anything he's in, it's always hilarious, and everything I've seen in him, he's always like a quality dude, and he always makes me laugh, so I'm, I'm here for him, and I can't wait to see him. Okay, uh, do you have a favorite Bruce Campbell line? Uh, groovy, for sure. Okay, I'm Deja Marshall. I'm Rebecca Josen. Well, in my head, I grew up on horror movies with him, and he made me love horror, and he's like the most beautiful thing ever. That's true, yeah. That's all we, like, we grew up together, and so that's all we would do is watch horror movies. So was the first uh, Bruce Campbell film you saw, was it Evil Dead, or was it a later one? It was Evil Dead. Evil Dead, yeah. Like, that's the one that scared the shit out of me, and like, left an imprint on me for like, ever. So that's my life. <laughs> It's Gardas for Life, so it made quite the impression. We became so Deadites, we became Ash. Yes. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And are you looking forward to the new season of Ash vs. Evil Dead? Oh my god, yes. <laughs> yes. Hell yes. Uh, I, my name's Richard Hill. I'm executive producer of The Blood Hunter, a movie starring Timothy Patrick Quill and Danny Hicks from Army of Darkness and Evil Dead 2. So, when I was 14, it was the first time I saw Evil Dead, and from that point on, I wanted to make movies. It was like what I wanted to do. So, I watched that movie, and I was just like, I don't know what it was about it. I loved Sam Raimi, and then so I started watching everything that was Sam Raimi, and I noticed this guy was in, like, everything. And so, I just, I've, I've followed him since I was that old. But I'm more, I like, I like Sam's work, but I more fell in love with Bruce as an actor, because he's just a funny guy. Like, he's comedic, and he's kind of angelic when he acts like it's just re he's really good at it like he does it with like this kind of grace that nobody really has anymore like that old um 60s 70s comedy grace like the stooges had because of course they all love the stooges growing up <laughs> no he really does he, he's 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 a really good actor 
he's had this, um, and he's got three books now. This is his third book, right? He's got If uh, Chins Could Kill, and then he's got Making Love to Bruce Campbell. <laughs> Which, and they're both fascinating books. Like, I would recommend, honestly, reading them. They're really good because they have all these stories in them from all of his, from his entire career. You know, even if you aren't, a, like, a Bruce Campbell or a Sam Raimi fan or any of that, even if you're, like, just a film fan and you like movies... The books are fascinating. They're really enjoyable to read, and they have a lot of good stories in them. Sandra Deacons, what do you like about Bruce Campbell? His humor, mostly. And I'm very thankful that he has written a second book to go along with his more, you know, his previous book. And I look forward to reading it. It just looks like it's going to be a blast. I'm thoroughly enjoying reading, rereading the first book again, and I'm going to have him sign that one tonight as well. Uh, when he comes to Comic-Con every year, it's a blast to see him there, and he's very entertaining, and he loves his fans. That's one of the things that's very special about Bruce, is that he goes out of his way to say hello to you, even if he doesn't know you from Jack, literally Jack of Spades. <laughs> but uh, no, he's just a nice guy. It's a lot of fun. My name is Coy Darren Jones, and I'm a Bruce Campbell fan. I've got the other two books. And what have you brought here for him to sign? Uh, a copy of the Necronomicon that my brother made and gave to me for my birthday. And it's got like replica of the book from the movie. Hi, I'm Mary Sturhan. And you are here for a Bruce Campbell book signing. What do you like about Bruce? His humor. He's always funny. And I need a lot of funny right now. <laughs> Looking around here at the audience, would you say that there's a pretty diverse crowd here? Yes, actually. They, there's a good age range. There's actually kids in this room, all the way up to some of us who are not telling our ages. Do you have a favorite work of his, a film or a TV show? I was going to go with Bubba Hotep and then Evil Dead. And do you have a favorite Bruce Campbell line? This is my boomstick. My name is Sarah Bourne. And tell me what you're dressed like. I'm dressed as Ash from Evil Dead 1 and 2. So what makes you a fan of Bruce Campbell? Um, well, my family and I grew up watching like Evil Dead, and um, I actually really like Briscoe County Jr. a lot, and um, we're just huge fans. We, we were raised on a lot of his stuff, so. And what is it about him that you find appealing? Oh, that a beautiful chin, that amazing hair, everything about him, his amazing quotes. And what have you brought here for him to sign? I brought my Man with the Screaming Brain, issue number one. I got it when I was like 15, so and it's really special to me. So I brought that, and I already got his book to sign. So. Hi, my name is Jacob Denton. And what have you got here? Uh, I have a little uh, Necronomicon, little stash box. I got it at Monster Palooza convention. I'm going to have uh, hopefully Bruce sign that today. What do you like about Bruce Campbell? Why is he uh, an actor that you enjoy? Uh, well, I grew up with horror films, but... I've always been scared of him, just like other people, you know, being raised off horror films when I was like five or six years old, but he represented this character that defeated evil, and he made me braver, he made me not scared of Boogeyman when I was little, because he was the only guy who could totally kick ass and make fun jokes while doing it, so he made me appreciate horror, made me laugh at horror, like, kind of like that catalyst towards horror and comedy for me, so... I appreciate everything he's done. I watched Army of Darkness like a hundred times when I was like six years old and that was just the most fun time ever. Just my VHS, just that thing, just I ran through that VHS copy like none other and it was just full of scratches at that point. <laughs> I think Army of Darkness and Evil Dead 2 are just such a fun movie to race kids off of just because of how ridiculously goofy they are. Yeah. 
Do you have a favorite line? Shop smart, shop ass smart. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, hey, she bitch. <laughs> Before he began signing books, Campbell read from a chapter about shooting his film Man with a Screaming Brain in Bulgaria. For those of you who would like to follow along and watch every mistake that I make, <laughs> page 98, a little piece called Breast in Pieces. It's about making a movie in Bulgaria, a modern-day classic called Man with the Screaming Brain. Breast in Pieces. What comes with shooting in countries with far greater needs than those of an American exploitation film is what I call the Bulgarian box of chocolates, whereby you never really know day to day what you're going to get. A key scene in the, in the film, Man with a Screaming Brain, the modern day classic, involved a Vespa. I'll spare you the narrative details of why it was critical, but the Vespa had to be pink with streamers from the handlebars. It had to be completely destroyed on film. At the time, I felt that my first meeting with the transportation department had gone well. Since only a small handful of crew members spoke English, my translator, Asia, was there as well. We discussed the alleged Vespa with Yuri, the head of the transportation department. Now look, Yuri, I remember saying, I'm assuming that when I say Vespa, we're all talking about the same type of machine. I brought this up because of the array of odd vehicles I had seen on the Bulgarian roads, and I drew a crude picture on my dry erase board. Yes, of course, uh, Yuri nodded in recognition. No problem. And I can paint it pink, right? Yes, of course, Yuri said, rolling his head from side to side. Yes, of course. <laughs> it doesn't look like yes. It looks like, yeah, whatever, or maybe. <laughs> or go fuck yourself. I don't know. <laughs> there was their way of saying understood. So about a week later, I passed Yuri in the hallway of the production office, and I couldn't help but following up on the Vespa. Through Asia, who was continually at my side, I asked, Hey, Yuri, are we good on the Vespa? Yuri thrust a thumb in the air and smiled confidently. Yes, of course. And we can paint it pink and wreck it, right? Yuri responded simply by rolling his head in that same way. A week after that, with no Vespa news, I began to get nervous. We were only a few days away from needing it. I insisted that Yuri bring me an actual picture of the Vespa he intended to use. He did, in fact, produce a picture of a blue Vespa. That's fine, Yuri, but it's blue. You can paint it pink, right? Through translators, Yuri assured me again it was not a problem. Okay, I said, chewing my lower lip. We, we shoot with that in two days, so good luck. <laughs> 48 hours later, the second unit was preparing to shoot the Vespa, careening out of control without a rider and smashing into the side of a parked car. I was filming in a laboratory set across the street, but peeked out when I had a chance. I was relieved to see the crew prepping a perfectly pink Vespa with cute little girly tassels fluttering from the handlebars. A few minutes later, the ill-fated machine was rolled to its doom, bounding off the parked car. It smashed to the ground and let out a final gasp courtesy of a cheesy spark effect. The crew applauded politely, as is usually the case after a stunt is performed. But as I glanced at Asia, I was shocked to see tears streaming down her face. This was very unusual because Asia had always been very calm and professional. I looked to Joel, the first assistant director. Joel, why is Asia crying? Oh, that's because it's her Vespa. <laughs> Glancing at the smoldering wreck, it was a gift from her father on her birthday. 
I guess they never told her they were going to wreck it. But she's the fucking translator. She was there. How could she not know? Joel Shrug, welcome to Bulgaria. I spoke with Bruce Campbell the day before he was heading down to San Diego in Mysterious Galaxy. I wanted to talk about the contrast between his public persona and private one. Not all his fans seem to get that contrast. Do I prefer Halo or Killzone? You're assuming that I'm a gamer. I say the words, I don't play the game. Sorry, man. talk to you about your book because you have your new one coming out. Your books, I think, to me, reveal kind of an interesting contrast in your career and persona because you come across at conventions, you're like this ultra cool cult favorite and Ash is known <laughs> for being irreverent and wisecracking and it seems like you have this like horde of young fans. But in your books, you reveal that you're kind of this and I don't mean this in a negative way, but you're like this old school kind of actor with a lot of respect for the profession. And you've got this, you know, a, a sense of what the business is like. And I, I, I found out in the book you're a big fan of someone like Bob Hope. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. Lawrence Welk, for God's sake. But there is that ridiculous, unescapable difference between the persona and the actual person. If anything, that's what books can do is round out that image a little bit. I just like wearing dumb outfits and going to conventions and stuff has given me the excuse to do that. For some reason, I do pretend like I don't take any of it seriously. There's a lot of it that I don't take seriously, but I actually do take the craft seriously. It's like, you know, being a good bricklayer. I think you should take pride in some, if you are a craftsman, try and be a good craftsman. So I guess I do take that seriously, but you know, there's always going to be a difference between the on-screen schmo and then the guy who runs around on his property. You know, there's always going to be a difference between the persona of Humphrey Bogart and then who he really was. That'll always happen. And so Bob Hope is really one of your favorite kind of... <laughs> well, again, not so, much, not so much the guy, Bob Hope, but the fact that, um, you know, he touched every single of the big five bases. Vaudeville he was in, he was in Broadway, a ton of radio, lots of television, got into television early, and of course motion pictures. So he really did it all. He was a very, just a clever guy, but I liked his persona. His persona was that he was kind of an idiot. He would get himself into problems and then he would have to talk his way out of them, not, not doing it very well. So I guess I just got used to seeing his double talk, and you could tell he was ad-libbing a lot. And I was like, yeah, that's that's a kind of a character that I like playing, that type of guy. So the character Ash now, of course, on Ash vs. Evil Dead, he really is, in his own way, Bob Hopish. He's talking his way out of situations that he created. So Ash is just kind of like a road, one of those Bing Crosby, Bob Hope road movies. <laughs> yeah, it's like an unrated road movie, really. That's all it really is. And you also kind of followed in his footsteps in terms of, of doing, you also like went out and entertained the troops and stuff as well, too. Yeah, it, um, that seemed like a good thing to do. Uh, we randomly got the opportunity, making burn notice, you know, some uh, service members came to visit the set. And... Uh, indicated that some of the service members that the show was popular there, we were like, oh, who knew? So 
you know what it was? He was acting on a rare, rare privilege that actors sometimes get, that uh, they can go to war zone. You know, the average schmo can't just run over there and see what's going on unless you're, of course, Sean Penn or someone like that. But uh, when we got the opportunity, we thought we couldn't say no. It was too crazy of an opportunity. And the troops really appreciate it. They're like, oh, hey, man, yeah, thanks for hauling your ass out to this crappy little forward operating base. But uh, it, felt like, it felt like it was a good thing to do because the one thing I think um, we've learned in the U.S. is we treat our soldiers better. You don't have to like the war. I, I hate war to the core of my being. But I will never blame the person who's going to execute the war. I blame the people who wage the war, but not never the soldier. Soldiers... You know, I give them credit. They're actually there with a freaking gun in their hand. I'm not sure if I could do that. But I, I can go there and crack jokes. So your new book is Hail to the Chin. What led you to... This is your third? Is this your third book? Or did have... Yeah, the second book was... Uh, I, I, I took a detour into fiction briefly and then came back. But yeah, so 15 years ago, I put the first one out, Confessions of a B-Movie Actor. It just seemed like uh, it was time. A lot of weird stuff had happened. The industry has changed a lot. The B-movies that I've sort of championed for a long time seem to be very prevalent now in that all the A-movies are B-movies. If you dress up like a bat, that's a B-movie. You know, if you are bitten by a radioactive spider, that's a 1950s B-movie. So I, I, I feel vindicated now that Hollywood has just caught up with my visionary thinking. Your book's a really fun read, and you've got like a lot of these anecdotes in it, too. But it seems like if there's an actor or a filmmaker starting out, your book is also full of a lot of really smart insights into how the business of Hollywood is run. Hopefully. And it's not, you know, I don't find it to be an overly joyous industry or a horrible one. Uh, you can kind of make your own way through it. And that hopefully I can impart that there really isn't a secret. You can come from butt crack Indiana and get into this business. You, you really can. You just got to figure out how to do it. And you can do it from butt crack Indiana too, with the, the way technology is and digital cameras and doing stuff in your own computer and home generating stuff. Filmmaking is getting a lot easier now. It does not have hardly any of the drudgery that it used to have. So filmmakers should be glad. They got it easy, man. Well, it goes from, like, insights into contract negotiations to little minutia, like talking to the <laughs> sound guy about, like, I don't like to loop my lines. <laughs> well, these will be practical things if anybody, yeah, if an actor wants to go, what's it like on a film set? It's always very different than you think in every situation. That's the one thing that astounds me is how different of an experience different movies or television shows can be. I can come off of something and go, Man, that was just an awful experience, and the movie's good. And then you come off of something, and you go, man, that was a blast, and the thing dies a thousand deaths. So I'm convinced that something that's easy to make is hard to watch. There's a theory in there somewhere. Well, you talk a little bit about Bubba Hotep in your book, yeah, and yeah. you said that was a little bit of a different kind of shooting experience for you with Don Coscarelli because... He was very meticulous and a bit slow in the, the process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, is, is that one of the films that you feel most proud of? Yeah, that's top five for sure. You know, it's a, it's a, I think it's a cool little gem of a movie. It's like uh, a ponderous story about aging. Oh, yeah, and there's a mummy, you know, in, in, the, in the rest home. 
that I really felt Joe Lansdale hit a great tone. Uh, and it was a nice little story, I thought. And then, you know, good God, Ozzy Davis to get one of his last performances uh, was just, you know, it was a fortunate collision of incidents. And, you know, every situation in the creative arts, you're going to get different dynamics between the people. Some actors get along famously. They love each other, and they'll, they'll do anything for each other. And some actors want to tear each other's eyes out. It's so amazing to witness the whole spectrum. And I read a lot of actor books. So the same thing, it's nice to know the same thing has happened since day one. There have been, there have been great creative alliances and absolutely terrific fights and arguments and people walking off set. It's all very, you know, we're the arts. We're a little overly dramatic, I guess. <laughs> well, it must have been great to work with Ossie Davis. It was, because the guy, you know, if you look back at his life, I think his first movie was like 1945, and this was like 2001. Uh, you know, the guy delivered the eulogy for Malcolm X. What a crazy life and stature he had. And, you know, the first day of shooting, I was like, Ozzy, I know why I'm in this movie. Why, why are you in this movie? And he said his grandkids talked him into it because they were Evil Dead fans. And I'm like, well, that works for me. So he was a great, uh, total class. Total, everything you think he would be, he was. Well, both of you got robbed for an Oscar. You should have both <laughs> been up for it at the very <laughs> least. Well, if anything, it's just nice to be part of a movie that holds up pretty well. That mm -hmm. I go to a lot of, I still go to a lot of conventions and stuff. And Bubba has crept in about twenty percent of what I sign is is Bubba, and that's a pretty good inroad into the Evil Dead world. Well, it's brilliant. And talk a little bit about uh, Burn Notice and your Sam Axe spinoff, because what I find interesting is that. From a fan perspective, we were just happy to see you get a film of your own right. and get your character sure. to develop. But right. the reasoning behind it has really nothing to do <laughs> with, like... <laughs> nope. nope. There is no organic reasoning behind it whatsoever. And uh, that's what, I guess, again, people don't necessarily need to know that, but I thought it was an interesting byproduct of a contract dispute. You know, that that's why that movie got made... It, it's the only reason that movie got made, but, well, it got made. It did. I thought Matt Nix came up with a genius way to solve uh, a money problem of that, make a TV movie, pay Bruce for that. It's extra work, so the other actors can't complain that, you know, he's getting free money, and develop his character. And Fox is going to make a TV movie or two anyway. So let's make it at Fox Tele-Columbia where Rupert Murdoch just purchased 51%. What a great idea. So it was all, you know, it, it made sense on paper, that's for sure. And then we had to, finally had to do it, which was more challenging. I thought for sure the reason they made it was because you had come to Comic-Con with Burn Notice, I think the first year, and <laughs> were throwing money out to the audience. The crowd was going crazy. Nobody was paying attention to any of the other actors. And I thought, oh, wow, the studio finally realizes that Bruce is the star. <laughs> well... No, what it was, they, no, they came into my turf, is what it was. You know, that show had no business being there. Comic-Con's different now. And now every show goes to Comic-Con just because it's pop culture. It's, you want to get the word out. But, but even then, even back at the beginning of Burn Notice, I, even I thought it was weird that they were going to do a panel at Comic-Con. I'm like, what the hell are you guys? You're not a sci-fi or horror fantasy, you know? But uh, what was nice, it was nice for them to see it. It was nice for the studio to see 
that there are savages out there, you know, who are very vocal and very present. And uh, same with stars. They got to see that lesson at the, uh, at the New York Comic Con, where people had foam chainsaws that they were chainsawing in the air, you know, during the screening of the, of the first pilot. They realized the, the fervent nature of uh, some of the Evil Dead fans. You know, we don't, we're, not, we're not many, but we're strong. And vocal. Yeah, they are vocal. I was at Comic-Con the first time you appeared there, and, I mean, the crowd was crazy for you. <laughs> you know, they get, it, uh, you know, I can't explain any of that other than the fact that they, uh, I like the fact that they're having a good time, and uh, I like to poke fun at them for sure. I think part of it they, they expect to be made fun of when I do a panel. And, you yes. know, I give money, I take it away sometimes. You know, we have a lot of impromptu stuff. That's the fun part. It, you know, there's not a lot of interaction between actual actors and actual fans. And the conventions are really one of the rare cases where you can go, I want to meet Norman Reedus from a TV show that I'm watching right now. When I was a kid, you couldn't do that. Shatner wasn't around. Shatner's everywhere now. You can't get rid of the guy now. But uh, back in the day, my brother and I were huge fans of the original Star Trek. We, there wasn't a convention anywhere. And now, holy crap, holy Every town across this country has some kind of Comic-Con happening in their town right now, this weekend. So it's grown like crazy, but I think it's just the explosion of we're finally letting our freak flag fly that we like this stuff. We like this sci-fi horror fantasy. It's all, it's all come out of the shadows now. It's okay to wear stupid outfits and cosplay and run around in the woods dresses. Characters. I don't know. It's a healthy expression. It's a healthy outlet. I've met a lot of people who have stressful jobs who go to these conventions because they can forget about being in the EMT for a weekend. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember at that first Comic-Con appearance you had that sense of the disconnect between who you were and who you are on screen was very apparent when like these guys were going like, Bruce, tell us what, what your favorite game is. What's your favorite video game? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't play any of that crap. And <laughs> and I think you even scolded them for, like, it's because of you people that I have to record, like, 40 different lines because oh, yeah. you keep 40 clicking. 40 different ways to die. Yeah. Well, finally, I have to record, stop clicking on that. There's nothing there. Um, part of what you talk about in terms of, like, the profession of being an actor, one of the things you, you mentioned was getting to become a producer on your own TV show or on a, a film. So what does that mean for an actor in terms of kind of controlling your career or, or in terms of helping your career? It means everything. You can easily fail as a producer, too, but at least you can go down swinging. That's how I look at it. If you're a producer, you're not only in on the money, uh, which you should be rightfully entitled to if you are a major part of that project. Because you're the face of it. You really are. And you're going to promote it. Producers don't, no one cares who produces movies, honestly. They don't care. They don't, Harvey Weinstein, they only know him because of the trouble he's in. So it, it's just, it's a good thing to be in it from the ground up. You get a lot more respect. Uh, you can control the material. You can be part of the guys who, you know, if you hire the director, that director is not going to do anything you don't want them to do. It's kind of the bottom line. Uh, and you wouldn't hire them if you didn't think they were competent and a good fit after having extensive meetings with them, you know. So uh, you, you're also more vested in it. When you're a producer, you don't care about your trailer anymore. You're not stomping around saying, why are they not shooting me? You know, because you already know the problems because you're a producer. 
it's a much healthier all-in method to go. And then you're also dealing more directly with the studio. Uh, you're looking at editing. You're looking at the finished cut of the movie. You're looking at your performance, and you're going, hey, guys, don't touch that. Leave that alone. <clears throat> I think that works. Or put that back in. I miss that. And so uh, I just think it's a very natural progression. And actors have been doing it probably since the 50s, really getting involved in it. And they should. Why not? It's not like producers know what they're doing either. Half these guys are either old bean counters, attorneys, uh, hucksters, shysters, lawyers, you know. Uh, there aren't a lot of producers who have great taste. And now with Ash versus Evil Dead, do you feel you've come to a point with that show where you've kind of got this perfect balance of having control and, and getting a show that, that works and that kind of gets what your character is? Yeah, that's why it's going to be canceled, because we finally got there. <laughs> and, and that'll be the perfect ending to it. Um, we're three seasons in. That in and of itself, in, in the land of television, is like, okay, you know, you got past your rookie season, got two more in us. We think this is a really strong third season. They moved our air date uh, about six months, which is not unusual these days. Everybody's trying to figure this stuff out, stars included. They've just been purchased by Lionsgate, which will have their own agenda. So we got to see how we fit in their future. They know the fans are there. Uh, we have found, sadly, that our fans are actually kind of lazy and cheap. They're cheapskates. <laughs> they illegally download the show quite heavily, and they don't want to pay the six ninety five or whatever it is for the monthly thing. So, you know, they're not getting the immediate clicks that they need to make them feel all warm and fuzzy. But I don't know. I think these networks have to figure out how to, how to gauge people because nobody's watching live TV anymore. They're watching their apps on the subway. with their. They want their Oompa Loompa right now, and I want it on this device. And I don't really want to pay much for it. So we're, we're discovering, you know, our show's in the middle of everybody else who's trying to figure this out. Um, you know, we're in 100 markets around, around the world, and our, the DVDs, the first season sold more DVDs than any other first season show in five years. So somebody's out there. But what Stars has to do is they have to find out how to get these clicks, how to connect. It's really they just have to find out how to connect to the modern day youth who they they want they got a way to rip movies for free. They don't want to pay for anything anymore. Well they feel entitled to you, you know. You're out there I and guess they, so. they yeah. want it now. They just want it, give it to me now. I want it for free or if if not for free, for very little. But then if you, you put, if you put the Blu-ray in a steel case, they, they are obsessed with collectibles. <laughs> Thankfully, that stuff will never go away, which is interesting to tour with a hardcover book in the modern era where you'd think most people would just get the e-book. With a photo-heavy book like mine, an e-book is actually better. You get to see all the color pictures, and you can play with the font and make it as bright as you want and all that stuff. But people still... Uh, at least in the fan side of it, or collectors, they still want to hold that book. They still want to look at that thing that has that signature on it. So even though my e- my ebook sales have expanded, you know, people still want the hardcover. And I suppose I'll still always tour to sign actual objects because they still seem to it, it holds a little more resonance, especially in the digital age. I guess 
I want to ask about one thing in Ash yeah. vs. Evil Dead because I, okay. I love this show and I'm going to have to rewatch all of them this Halloween <laughs> because there's not a new one out. No, not till 2.25. Dang. Well, I was kind of hoping it would be for Valentine's Day because I thought that would make a perfect, you know, that would be viewing good. opportunity. Yeah. But I have to say that one of the most hilarious scenes I have ever seen, we were all, like, we could barely breathe. We were laughing so hard. Was... Ash ending up in the ass of a corpse. Oh, no, no. Not up the foot! Not up the foot! Oh, God! Oh, God, I'm in the butt! I'm in the butt! I'm in the butt! How did this come about, and, and how do you go yeah. in that day going like, well, this is what I'm doing today? Well, uh, it's weird. We have a new... You get to a new normal. You feel a little bit like, and this is a bad comparison, but you feel a little bit like an infantry soldier where it's your second tour and you go, yeah, seen that before, yeah, uh, right. Oh, yeah, dead, dead guy over there, yeah, right, okay. And you, you, our set's covered with blood and viscera and gore. It's really just, it's another day at the office. It's just you, and that's how warped your life has become, that that becomes normal. So, but that sequence I knew uh, would be more of a water cooler sequence of people going, okay, did you see the scene in Ashford's People Dead where his head goes up the butt? And, you know, they, of course, Rob Tappert, the producer of our show and my longtime partner, you know, is making the call of like, nope, we're not done yet. He's got to finish because it was just going to be a fight with the colon, like, you know, punching it and it punching me and spinning me around. The original idea was not. That wasn't part of the plan, but Rob put a horrid, horrid twist on it. Went, nope, he's got to go up the up the hoo ha, and it does make sense in the world of Evil Dead that it would do that. It just, as horrible as it is and as ridiculous as it was to shoot, it did make sense. The Evil Dead would do that. They would pull his head up a cadaver's butt. Yeah, it was horrible to shoot. We we kept adding to it, so we had to cut. Had to keep coming back to redo stuff to put basically the sausage head, you know, on top of me for shooting. Um, they, they, uh, Rob was right. He's right. Cause it's one of the scenes that people will talk about is the head up the butt scene. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now that you are facing the third season of Ash versus evil dead, what can you possibly do to top yourself? <laughs> well, we try not to play that game. Uh. We try not to do any more up the pooper scenes that, you know, we've sort of, I think hit a wonderful plateau there. But the trick now is, where's the story going? Ash is not just an idiot who lives in a trailer park with bad, bad personal habits. He's a guy who's foretold in an ancient book. He has an image in, a, in an old volume. So who is he? Why him? What is, what is his mission? So we're doing a little more Joseph Campbell this year. Uh, the family has expanded. Ash finds that he, out that he has a daughter, an unruly teenage daughter. And so... Right at possibly the worst time, uh, he has to not only save the world, but he has to raise a daughter and try and attempt to be, you know, a good father in the in the midst of all this. And to me, there's nothing better than to throw the hero into that, to force him to try and to force Bob Hope to try and deal with this situation uh, poorly, very poorly. But at the end of the day, you know, I feel, and we always play Ash, that he he has to come through. He has to. Ash is one of the rare good guys in this horror world. 
And that's why I think people can root for him because he is a good guy at the end of the day. He's a, he's a poor role model, but he's a, he's a good dude at the end of the day. He will try hard, even if he's knocked down 10 times. You mentioned in the book this sense of the exhilaration versus the pain in the ass of low-budget filmmaking. What is, for people who may not know what that process is like, what, what is that contrast like? It's speedballing. You know, it's heroin and cocaine at the same time. Uh, working in the first day in Sofia, Bulgaria, when you drive around, you're, you know, my jaw was just open because it was the strangest collision of cultures I had ever seen of the a fallen Soviet Union after long occupation. It was had Russian in feeling, but it wasn't Russian, and they were embracing capitalism, but they didn't even know how to do it really yet. And we were there randomly because of Sci-Fi Channel. That's just where they shot stuff. It just didn't make any sense. My movie was set in East L.A. at the beginning of this prep period. So you get there, and you go, Okay, this will never, I can never fake this for East L.A. We don't have the money. So your meetings are, how do we take the resources that we have and make and warp this story? Because we're not going to warp the background. We're not changing Sophia. It is what it is. These are Russian SUVs driving around and little German paper mache coated cars that, you know, sounded like weed whackers. They were like two-cylinder engines. Nothing looked like American anything. So that was part of the fun and exhilaration of going, we have to completely change this concept before we start shooting in order to make this happen. And so uh, the cool thing is we were sort of empowered to do that. I finally talked to Sci-Fi Channel into letting us say that he's in, he's in Bulgaria. Just let us say it. That way we can shoot everything as it is. All the, all the wording is in Cyrillic. Giant Russian statues everywhere. I'm like, why don't we just embrace that and make it a fish-out-of-water story, which is what it was. So we just adapted it. So it was half pain in the ass, but half exhilarating because that's the seat of the pants filmmaking. That's almost all I've ever known from the first Evil Dead on, is making weird movies catches catch can, and sometimes they catch, and sometimes they, they really implode. All right. Well, I know that you probably have lots of other things to attend to, so I thank you very much for taking Alrighty. some time out. Thank you for your time as well, and I'll uh, talk to you again in 15 years when I do the final confession <laughs> of a B-movie actor. That was actor-producer and author Bruce Campbell. His new book, Hail to the Chin, just came out. The third season of Ash vs. Evil Dead, as I mentioned earlier, will premiere in February. Thanks for listening to another edition of listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, then all I ask is that you tell one friend to take a listen as well. A personal recommendation from you is the best way to spread the word about mainlining film with Cinema Junkie. Coming up next will be an interview with Maverick filmmaker Larry Cohen, who gave us It's Alive, The Stuff, and Cue the Winged Serpent. There's a new documentary about him called King Cohen. Till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie.
KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com.